Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. We've been going through a series, Repentance and Restoration. And when we started talking about this, we talked about how kind of scary a word repentance is, right? It's, it's a big word. It means something. It usually bothers people. We see movies like Footloose and you see the nasty, mean-spirited, legalistic preacher, right? And, and that's, that's sort of the, the vision that's conjured up, repent, that spittle flying out of his mouth and he's never smiling, he's always angry at something, right? And that's sort of what we think about repentance, right? Because repentance does address sin in our lives. It does. But it's not about just calling you out for sin. It's about restoring you. It's about restoring you. It's about giving you a path back to God. And if you haven't yet come to Jesus as your personal Savior, it's about giving you the path to get to Him. He's reaching for you. Christian, He loves you. He wants you. We're going to talk about that a little further in the message. But repentance is a gift from God, it says in the book of Acts. He gives us the gift of faith, and He gives us the gift of repentance. And they're two sides of the same coin. And it's so beautiful when those gifts flood into us and we begin to recognize that we are out of step with God and we need to make corrections in our journeys, right? Whether we're believers or whether we've not yet come to Christ, we still must live a life of turning and following His North Star. That's what repentance does for us. It's a powerful path. We read through Psalm chapter 51, and I want to encourage you to go into the book of Psalms and read chapter 51. It it lays out such a beautiful pathway of repentance of King David after he had failed, fallen, he'd tanked miserably. He was full of self-hatred. For a year, he ignored the prodding of God for a year. And finally, God sent his prophet Nathan And Nathan the prophet stood in front of the king and he said, you are the man. You are the man. You have done this. And then David broke down. And this Psalm 51 was written out of that. And as he prayed this prayer, it gave us a powerful path of repentance. We recognize a problem with the heart and with the will. And we ask God to create in us a clean heart. Sins corrupted our hearts. We need a cleansing. We We ask God to sustain us and to give us a willing spirit, renew a right spirit within me, a willing spirit, so we see that the heart is addressed and the will is addressed, and we need both working in conjunction with one another to be free and to walk in the grace of God. We recognize our need for the Holy Spirit, our need for renewal, and we fall into a a godly grief, a godly grief, not a worldly sorrow. In the second week, as we got into this series, we talked about worldly sorrow versus godly grief, and worldly sorrow leads to death. Worldly sorrow is what you see when suicides are happening around the country in every age group, more or less, and 
and, and it's, it's things that drive families apart. It doesn't draw them together. You see worldly sorrow tears down, destroys what God wants to build up. Oh, but godly grief brings life. It brings life, and we learn that from 1 Corinthians 7. And uh, I hope that you'll turn to 1 Corinthians 7 in your Bibles and, and, and look at that later and, and walk through that and see that godly grief points to hope, but worldly sorrow gives no hope. Worldly sorrow drives us away from God. Godly grief draws us near. Worldly sorrow causes loss, but godly grief brings joy once its work is done. Last week, we talked about a daily Sabbath. I put it up on Facebook, I think, and in our Emmanuel members group and in our Emmanuel Facebook page. Just a little outline of a daily Sabbath, a daily break, where you come to God and you, you, you come to God in prayer every day. I don't want hands raised, but, but boy, it would be encouraging uh, to know how many of you have attempted a daily Sabbath every single day where you've come to God and you've confessed every known sin in your life. Everything you can think of. God, I, I shouldn't have said those words. Lord, I, I shouldn't have drank that much. Lord, I, I shouldn't have... You follow? We, things that we know, that we think of, we're confessing that to God and we're bringing it under the blood of Christ and it is not... Listen, you are, de, you are declared not guilty and the penalty for that sin has been paid in full by the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no forgiveness of sin. And it's by the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven. And then daily we bring our sins to him, even though we are judicially cleansed and not guilty in the high court of heaven. Experientially, as we're walking in this earth, Jesus illuminated it this way. He said, uh, if you've been clean, you're all clean, but you need to have your feet washed once in a while. We're walking in the muck of the world, we fall and we stumble, and God needs to clean us up so that we can have a great testimony, so we can bring others to the joy of knowing Jesus, right? So we confess what we know. And then we're still before God. God says in Psalms, be still and know that I am God, and so we, 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 we make ourselves still before God. For somebody with raging ADHD like me, this is one of the most incredibly challenging exercises to do for me. But I can't use that as an excuse, can I? Can I use that as an excuse not to be still and ask God to search my heart and know me and to reveal to me if there's any wicked way in me that I have missed? We go through our lives with unconfessed sin because we're not asking God to reveal it to us. And the consequences of that sin builds and it drags us down and it discourages us and it depresses us and and coming to God and asking him, Lord, show me, show me. And then the, the challenge here, the warning is don't fabricate fake sin. Some of y'all got an overdeveloped conscience. Like it's so overdeveloped, it's perverted. You, you constantly berate yourself and you create false things, right? And, and, and it's not sin, but for some reason you just conjure these things up. Don't do that at this moment. Simply pray. And be still and allow him to speak to you. Don't force it. If he doesn't speak to you in a minute or two, move on. You don't have to twist God's arm to let you know there's something wrong, right? Come on. 
Sometimes we treat God like some kind of a mythical being that's uh, uh, like, a, like a Greek God that you negotiate with all these kinds of things. You're asking him to do something that the Psalms taught us to ask him to do. Don't overcomplicate it. Well, Lord, you haven't shown anything to me. I want to thank you for that. And, and Lord, now I'm going to go on to the third part of this daily Sabbath and I'm going to ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I claim the promise that you made to me in Luke chapter 10, a promise of the filling of the person of the Holy Spirit within you. And that means that he will control and guide and empower you. That you will walk through the day with his presence. And, and unfortunately, sometimes during the day we leak. Uh, we, we, our, our filling of the Holy Spirit kind of starts to dip down. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Folks, don't make it a one-and-done thing. I think some Christians want a one-and-done. Oh, I've been filled with the Spirit. So I'm done. That's, that's not how it works. It's a command, and it's a present tense command. It's, it's, it's continually be filled with the Spirit is what it means in Ephesians. And so then we move on now in the brief time that we have left together. When we look at Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11, at that, at that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Where do wars, James, the brother of Jesus, writes now, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask, but you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And he goes on, he says, adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us, those of us who know Jesus, have been indwelt by the Spirit, yearns for us in jealousy, but He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists, resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And we've been talking about this nearly every week. We need to break through into the presence of God. We don't have to convince God to allow us into his presence, do we? From the passages that we just read, do you think God is resistant to those who want to come to him? You think he pushes you off? 
And he has you at an arm's length? Is that what the scriptures are teaching us? You have a heavy burden on your shoulders today? Maybe it's the weight of your own sin. Maybe it's the weight of someone's sin against you. Maybe it's just the cares of the world. And somehow we get this idea that God is holding us at arm's length. He's got too much to do. He's too busy. This isn't important enough for him. And yet what we just read was Jesus saying, come unto me. Come unto me. Come to me. Don't be like my dog, Edgar. I love my dog. He's so awesome. I'm letting his hair grow out. And, and when he's really clean, his hair looks like it's so like, if, like flyaway. You know what I'm talking about? Like it looks like Animal from the Muppets, where it's just like waving. And he's so gorgeous, and my, my wife thinks he's ugly. But I go outside with Edgar, and I'll say, Edgar, come. And this particular day, it was an evening, and it was when the skunks start coming out. Anybody know what time of year that is? Please tell me. Nobody knows what time of year skunks come out? What good are you? (laughs) I'm serious. Like, I want to know so I can make sure he doesn't get sprayed again. I take him outside. It's at night, it's dark, and this tree over here, before Rick trimmed it, the limbs used to come all the way down to the ground. You couldn't see what was under it. And then I hear Edgar going, Okay. Edgar Phillip, come! That's his middle name. We share it. Edgar Phillip, Eric Phillip, Nate Phillip. And then if I'm really irritated, Edgar Philip Davis, you come here. He wasn't coming. He wasn't coming. He's like some of us. He found something far more interesting to consume it upon our lusts, to consume it upon our, pra- our, our, our pleasures. He was having some fun with the flipping skunk. And what happened to him? He got sprayed in the face. It was so bad. (laughs) I'm really trying to think quick right now, but it's just not coming. I mean, it was so bad I didn't let him in the house. He came up on our porch, and our porch stank for like days and days. I thank God for the gift of Google. Because I immediately Googled what to do when your dog gets sprayed. And you know what they say first? Anybody? Listen, you need this if you have dogs or pets. Do not wash him with water. Water activates one of the scent nodes in the spray. So don't wash him with water. It actually activates it and makes it worse. So I'm like, thank you, Lord Jesus, that Google gave me the answer to my prayer. You know, they spray that out of their anal glands. I learned that on Google, too. It's really gross. (laughs) Really gross. So here we are. God says, come, come to me. And some of us are stubborn like Edgar. And we're too interested in playing with the skunk. 
Some of us, we don't think God wants us. Some of us think that we've fallen again and again and again. How could we possibly come back? But God says, come, come to me. We can't allow the enemy, enemy to have victory in this area. This is why I've been camping on this thought for the last number of weeks. How many of you pray and it feels like your prayers go no further than the ceiling? Anybody ever pray that way? It's just me? Come on now. All right, y'all hyper-spiritual people. God bless you. Maybe you come up here. Preach to me. Because um, that happens to me. How many of you get to a point where you just like feel like God's not listening? You feel like, not, and when that's happening, do you break through or do you give up? Feelings come and go. Feelings are easily manipulated. Feelings are terrible directors for your life. Feelings lie to you. You have a feeling that God doesn't want me. You have to go back to the truth. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? We need to break through. We need to draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. That's a promise. Church, do you understand that? This is one of the most beautiful promises in all of the Scripture for the Christian. There is nothing better than drawing near to God and Him drawing near to you and you walking in fellowship with Him during the day. You want to talk about joy unspeakable and full of glory. When you begin to walk with God in that way, it is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. And it's a promise. And this is why we have to break through, because our emotions, the enemy, we have an enemy, Satan and his fallen angels, try to keep us from coming into the presence of God where we see just two passages, and that's not all there is. Two passages show us that God said, draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Come unto me, come unto me. All of you, you could rephrase it maybe like this, all of you screw-ups, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. So I want you to do this with me. God wants me. When I, when I came to Christ, some of you know this and you've heard this before, and the Bible says that we should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. And the hope that's in me is Jesus, and this is how it happened. My beautiful lady, Trisha, she was my girlfriend then. She's my wife now. She dragged me kicking and screaming to church. I made fun of her because I thought she was a fanatic. It was a Wednesday night. Give me a break. Like, who goes to church on a Wednesday night? I was just riding her. And she's, uh, she's four, ten and a half. She's adorable. And she says this, shut up and come. And so I'm like, pretty girl, hang up by myself. Pretty girl, hang up by myself. Okay, I'll come. I mean, the motivation I had for coming to church was pure and beautiful and clean. No lightning strikes, Lord? Thank you. Just kidding. I was kidding about that. So I come to church, and about a year later, I'm struggling with whether or not I know for sure I have a home in heaven. Has anybody ever been there? You're not sure that when you die, you have a home in heaven, and you're just like struggling with it? And I had struggled for that whole year. I had struggled really all my life. 
And so I went down to the prayer, we had, uh, to the altar. We had a, an evangelist there. His name was Tommy Stone, and he preached this message. And I don't remember exactly what he preached, but he was my favorite evangelist. He was a big old Texan, like seven feet tall, five feet wide, played a saw like a, like a violin, a handsaw. And he was a big goofball, and he'd make you laugh, and then he'd get you. <laughs> Just as you're laughing, then he'd come in with some poignant saying and cut you to the heart and he had us raise our hands. If you're 100% sure, you know you have a home in heaven when you die. I mean, there is, no doubt in your, there is no doubt in your heart. You know that God has saved you through the Lord Jesus Christ's sacrifice, through his death, his burial, resurrection. Would you raise your hand if you're 100% sure? And I remember sitting there in that sanctuary, and I'm going like this. Oh, man. I, one of the times I asked Jesus to save me must have worked. That's what I was thinking. Because I'd asked Jesus to save me like over a thousand times over my life. One of those times must have worked. But I knew in my heart, only doubt. And so I had what I call a hope so hand. I think, yeah, me, oh, yeah, uh, uh. And so I raised my hand. Yeah, of course I'm saved. I was baptized the year before. I mean, if I'm not saved, that means I got to get up in front of everybody and get baptized again, and I got to make a big spectacle of this, and I don't want to do that. That's terrifying. Everybody's going to think I'm an idiot. And so I went down to the altar, and I'm wrestling with God. And I can see Jesus on the cross, and the blood is running down. And he's saying to me, ask me to save you, and I will. Ask me. Ask me to save you, and I will. And I said, Lord, I don't think you understand. See, I had a problem with this sin. I had a problem with lust. I had a problem with this, this struggle, and, and he was saying, and I like tell him all this stuff. I'm like, you don't understand. This is, this is what I've done. And I don't want to do it anymore, but I can't stop. I keep going back. I'm just a miserable failure. And, and, and Jesus said, I know. That's why I had to die for you. Because you can't fix you. You can't save yourself. And then I would say, yeah, but Lord. <laughs> you don't understand. Look at this over here. Look at what I've done over here. And I was so discouraged. And he said, I know, I know. That's why I had to die for you, because you can't do it. And I went through all of this wrestling, and Mr. Moore and Rick Moore, our, our, uh, at the time our youth pastor came, and he asked me if I needed help praying, and because people could see I was struggling, and I said, no, I'm all set, because I'm from New England, and we are all flipping set. I don't need your help. I'm all set. I don't know if they say that in other parts of the country, but I know we say it here. It's all, is that Southern? It's all good. No. I mean, it's easy to counter it's all good. Like, just look at you. You're not good. But when you say I'm all set, that's a little more ambiguous. You can't really fight with that. So Rick says, okay, and he walks away. And then my father-in-law, who was just my girlfriend's dad at the time, we've been dating for about a year, and... Uh, some lady in the church, I don't know who she was, but she could see that I was not all set. And she pointed me out to Ken, and he came over, and he says, Eric, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just not sure I'm saved. I'm so sick of this. I feel like if I ask him again for like the thousandth and first time, it's just going to be a lack of faith. It's just going to be the same old, same old. And he said, I think it'll be more of a lack of faith if you get up, walk away from here without having settled it. You need to settle this. 
And then because he's my father-in-law, my future father-in-law, he said, I'm not going to pray with you. You know what you need to do. You talk to Jesus. And that's when I was having it out with Jesus. And this phrase on, this, on the screen is something that I, all, I, I want us all to say together. Maybe you don't have this problem. I did. My problem wasn't believing that Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That wasn't my problem. I knew that he died on the cross for my sin. Uh, I knew that he rose from the grave. I mean, it's freaky, it's weird, but he rose from the grave. He can't talk to a dead person. But I wasn't so sure he wanted me. I wasn't so sure he wanted me. And so as I was wrestling in that prayer, he kept reassuring me, just ask me to, and I will do it. Just ask me. And somewhere along the way, he convinced me that not only could he save me, but that he wanted to. So when we talk about breakthrough moments, that was a breakthrough moment for me for salvation. The enemy was doing everything they could do to pull me away from Jesus at that time. Everything they could do. I know there were demons around us. There was noise within and without. But there was Jesus. Just ask me to. I want to. And man, it was like the sun just burst from a cloudy sky. And I said the best way I knew how, Lord Jesus, please save my eternal soul. Forgive me of my sin. Make me a child of your father. Hold on to me eternally. I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm sure it was incredibly eloquent for a 17-year-old kid. And he saved me that day. Now, since then, I've had moments of falling and failing, and sometimes far more than moments, if I'm honest with you. And you know that I've tried to be transparent with you. I struggle. I've fallen. I've failed. Righteous man falls six times, gets up seven there have been times on that sixth fall that I just didn't want to get up. And then I remembered this. I'm pointing at my screen. I should be pointing at yours. God wants me. God wants me. My failures, my insecurities, my shame and my guilt. God wants me. So I want you to just say this with me, okay? Can we all say this? One, two, three. God wants me. Now say it like you mean it. One, two, three. God wants me. Emphasize it. God wants me. Say it again. God wants me. Do you believe that? Is that what the scripture teaches us? Or is that some emotional psychobabble from a pastor who just wants to be a counselor or something? Is it scripture? Come unto me. Draw near to me. I will draw near to you. God wants me. He wants me when I'm messy. He wants me when I fail. And he especially wants me when I succeed so that pride doesn't come in and destroy everything. God wants me. And he wants you too. Hey, all Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.